0: up everybody welcome into the dnvr nuggets podcast <laughs> no, that's
1: the energy damn the damn
0: harrison, not so much but we'll get there uh guys a little tuesday edition of dnvr nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook app use promo code dnvr whenever you sign up and i've got harrison Wynn back in my life <laughs> did you miss me I, it, it felt like a year. One day felt like a year. Um, I've also got Brennan vote back in my life.
2: Well, Harrison, you missed a real barn burner last night. Sorry you couldn't make it to ball, but um, there were a lot of turnovers. It was sick. <laughs> did you, so Harrison, were you, did you get a
0: chance to catch the game from last night?
1: Hell No. Hell no. (laughs) You thought I was going to go back and watch that game? I mean, when I heard Michael Malone say afterward that his biggest takeaway and the biggest positive was that nobody got hurt. At that point, I said, okay, I don't need to watch this one. It was such a bad game,
0: honestly, man. Like I I went back and rewatched it, so joke's on me, but it was such a bad game. There really aren't a lot of strong takeaways. Although, you know, I haven't been able to do a notebook pod for a while, so we're going to spend the first segment doing notebooks. And the one thing about notebook, it's less about the game and how the game unfolded and more about just some trends with the Denver Nuggets. So that's why I think that's kind of how we want to guide today's show. We're also going to talk in segments two and three today where I know it's not the halfway point, even though it's the spiritual halfway point. The all-star breaks the spiritual halfway point. It's like. The first two thirds of the season, but the last third is the most important one. That's where teams like start to get ready. So as we get ready to turn the page, I kind of think we look back now and say, what are some big takeaways? And when I made my list, guys, like some of these takeaways, I feel like are pretty substantial. It, it, it was weird because a lot of this season has felt like purgatory, but I do feel like I have some things about this season that I've learned that I'm like, okay, this is, I, I, I feel kind of strong about these opinions that are not necessarily opinions I've had before. So um, I'm I'm kind of excited uh, to get into that one. Um, Should we just dive into some notebook stuff here, guys, from this last game? Should we just jump right in, two feet in? I'm I'm excited to learn about last night's game. (laughs) Um, One of my notes is, it's actually going to be a short notebook segment, to be honest. By the way, if you guys have questions in the comment section, Super Producer Kale will be starring those. We probably will have some time at the end to get to some of those questions. Um, Super Chats obviously goes right to the front. One of my notes with this last game was that Aaron Gordon has really become reliable on these threes where defenses go under. And one of the first makes of the game, I think actually was the first Nuggets bucket of the game was on this exact play where AG comes off of a handoff of yoke. The defender goes way under like eight feet underneath the screen. So he's in the paint while AG's on the wing and AG does just a great job of setting his feet and going into a shot. He's 30. Let me see. I wrote it down. 36% on catch-and-shoot threes, this would qualify for catch-and-shoot. That's the same percentage as Bones Highland uh, or Jeff Green. So to me, I think one of the things about Aaron Gordon is, is he a shooter? No. But teams always pick the poison of going under, and I just think that he's good enough to punish. Like, If I were scouting against him, I don't know that I would go under if he hits his first one.
2: Like, you go under, you go over, you're probably just picking a poison there. And I do think he seems to understand Harrison that to some extent he has to take those shots, right. To sort of make sure the geometry of the floor is in Denver's favor. You got to be able to punish them. And he's not a high volume shooter. He's not a career shooter, but he can make those shots. And so if he's able to take advantage enough of that, it just adds one more, one more layer to their offense.
1: Yeah. He's been a good, good, he's been a good catch and shoot shooter this season. Like when he takes open in rhythm, catch and shoot threes, they look like they're going in when Mm -hmm. he takes step back threes that he dribbles into or pull-ups, they don't look the same. They look like they're missing. Like his form looks distinctively different when he's catching and shooting or just dribbling in. So I think he's a good shooter when he has his feet set and he gets a good pass and he's in rhythm. Here's the weird thing about it: to be a good three-point shooter, you have to have confidence. I do think AG is
0: more confident in his three than maybe he should be because the numbers yeah. on like one dribble and two dribble threes is really bad. And you know, one of the threes he's added to his arsenal is that like one right-handed dribble, right side step three. And I'm like, oh, it's so I ugly. Think, I think he's shooting like twenty percent on one dribble yeah. or two dribble threes this year, and it's like, man, those are the ones that you know, I don't, you just don't need them. I don't think they, even if you hit it, I think teams are like, okay, that was lucky. So, um, but nonetheless, (laughs) the catch and shoot stuff. I'm so curious to see Gordon has been, I would say inexplicably, um, three point heavy in a lot of games, especially lately. And I just, I have to think that has to do with fatigue, health, hamstring. And I'm so curious to see how many threes he's taking, um, next week when he's had eight days off. I suspect significantly fewer
1: yeah yeah i would
0: think so there's compound interest for the denver nuggets on getting stops like big time compound interest meaning every team scores better in transition like off of a def- defensive rebound than they do off of a made basket when you, the defense gets set like this is well known the nuggets number is actually not that staggering 1.08 points per possession after a made shot which is I think fifth best in the NBA. And I imagine that number with Jokic on the court is like significantly higher. I mean, Jokic's a half court master, maestro. Um, And the second unit this year has had some of the worst half court possessions we've ever seen. So it's like the weird contrast equals out to still the fifth best as a team overall. But even with them being the fifth best half court team, they are still better after a defensive rebound by a meaningful amount, 1.12 points per possession. One of the reasons for this is that Monte takes the ball up the court. Barton takes the ball up the court. Jokic takes the ball up the court. Aaron Gordon takes the ball up the court. Jeff Green takes the ball up the court. Honestly, there's not that many teams in the NBA. There's a lot of teams that have three or four guys that can bring the ball up. Denver is one of very few teams that comfortably uses all five. And there's so many times, even in this Orlando game, when Denver would create a switch just based on Aaron Gordon grabbing the rebound and running up the court, and all of a sudden Cole Anthony has to grab him to stop him into transition – And there, here you go, 22 seconds, 21 seconds on the shot clock, and you already have one really favorable switch. So to me, this is one encouraging thing you would hope about Denver as you go down the home stretch is Denver, I think, has this skill up their sleeve that they have not employed quite fully yet, just in large part because they're not getting as many stops as they should.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's something the Nuggets have been doing for a while. And I remember it started with Paul Millsap. You know, when Paul got here, he got the chance to dribble the ball up the floor and like that created a lot of mismatches. They couldn't do that previously with Kenneth Fareed. but ever since Paul got here, they, they've usually, you know, especially in that starting group have five guys you can dribble the ball up the floor and it just creates chaos. You know, it just creates stuff that the defense isn't used to seeing. And I've got to think um, it's a little bit rewarding for those bigs to handle the ball as well, because like, When you're a big man, I mean, you know this, Adam. If you just have to run, like, block to block. Sucks. That's not fun. You know, dribbling the ball up the 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 floor, that's fun.
0: (laughs) Especially for Yoke, because he can get him into whatever it is he's trying to get him into on any given possession.
2: And Aaron's just so much better at this than Paul, too, right? Who, by his final year in Denver, we were begging him to not do that. But this is something the Nuggets staff has sort of implored Gordon to do. Empowered him to do is actually the better word. But when you have a seven foot tall playmaker like that, you have this ability to create mismatches all over the court. And I just think that's, that's one of the juiciest aspects of Aaron Gordon in Denver is just that. So I love those opportunities for him. And I wonder if we see more of them uh, in the postseason when he's really pushing himself. I do think this last stretch of his regular season has been largely defined by that hamstring and avoiding exasperation.
0: And then he has like a monster dunk yesterday because I agree with you. And then out of right, nowhere right. in the fourth quarter, he like has that spin move power dunk. And you're like, all right, <laughs> maybe you're just coasting. I don't know. Why don't we do that four times a game? I feel like he could, but alas, I'd rather him be healthy, whatever that, whatever that right. means on the stretch. This next note to me, of all the reasons for Denver to be optimistic, if you're optimistic about the Nuggets, you know, from here on out, of all the reasons i actually think this one is number 1 when they come back from the all-star break they're going to have more practices in a row than they've had since training camp they're going to have i mean i don't they'll probably take monday off tuesday though i'm sure they'll do something wednesday they'll do something and then thursday's a game so just having two practices plus you know maybe time to like do film stuff or something on monday or send some some notes that alone i think is going to make a huge difference because watching the game yesterday watching it back It is painfully obvious how few people on the team know the plays. I mean, honestly, in the half court, probably 30 to 40% of all plays feature somebody pointing at someone else where to go. It's insane. And I just think that Denver is where they are, despite the fact that guys don't know the plays is really impressive. And I do two days, two days of practice, I think will
1: make a huge difference there. Yeah, that's wild, man. I mean, it's, on one hand, not a surprise because they haven't had any practice time throughout the year. They have new pieces, Brid, yeah. Forbes, yep. um, cousins, bones, Highlands playing a new yep. position. So it's not surprising on the other hand, but you said it to, to be where they are with the amount of mess ups that they regularly have just in the half court. Uh, it's wild. Um, I mean, it speaks to Nikola Jokic first and foremost, but um. I agree. I think getting everybody on the same page is going to be big.
2: It was a big theme in the postgame pressers last night. Bryn Forbes was really candid about it. Frankly, we don't know where to be all the time. And it's a lot to expect of us, he said as well. But that it's their job. I mean, the practices would help would go a long way, I think. Would love to see it. But this also gives me some cause for optimism statistically, and I test anecdotally, bench is trending in the right direction. I right. don't think it's ever going to be super consistent, but both Cousins and Forbes said they felt like they're figuring out what they're supposed to do next to each other. And then the last wrinkle, which has been well-documented, it's not just that Forbes is new, Cousins it's new. Are they playing with Jamichael tonight or are they playing with Zeke, right? Are they playing sure. with Davon or are they playing with Austin? And that has changed night to night. So I guess not terribly surprising at those elements of it.
0: I really wish we saw more Dave on Reed. I know it's tough and we're probably going to see even less of him as you get into the after all-star break, just because more guys come back. That means, you know, more of a log jam, but we're not going to see I, him in the playoffs either. Yeah. Not going to see him in the play. I guess that's probably why, isn't it? Um,
1: yeah. I, I want to say though, it's kind of surprising that Bryn said that after last game, because I remember after his debut, somebody asked him about that and he goes, yeah, it's all everybody runs the same plays. It's just different terminology. So you know, maybe everybody has to put tape up their wrist and write the plays on it uh, tomorrow <laughs> against the Warriors.
0: Well, Malone has talked about it's a lot of terminology. Like every, you know, plays are very similar, are identical, but they have different terminology. But and that's but that's part of all of this thing is like, do you feel comfortable on the fly calling out the a play that everybody's going to get to? I honestly think Denver's playbook is very thin, especially with that second unit. And I think after the All-Star break, your hope is that the playbook can get a little bit fatter because guys are like, yeah, we're prepared. We know exactly – we know a bunch of different situational options. By the way, Bones Highland will start running that second unit. I mean, Monte Morris, after the All-Star break, for sure will be back. And now we've put Bones Highland there. So it adds a whole new wrinkle to it. But like I said, hopefully they get into the gym and get some practice time there to, to make it right. Um, <clears throat> so having uh, – Two bigs in that second unit. The Nuggets have been running with DeMarcus Cousins and Jermichael Green. And one of the biggest things that you probably don't notice, but that that really opens things up, Denver loves to run those double pin downs. And when that's Aaron Gordon or somebody else, like a team can switch Aaron Gordon to Bryn Forbes. You don't want to do it every time. But on a double pin down, there's things you could do. When it's Jamichael Green and DeMarcus Cousins, You don't, and Bryn Forbes, like there's no crossover skill set there. There's nobody guarding Bryn Forbes that could also guard DeMarcus Cousins or Jermichael Green. So what teams are doing is they're chasing on those, and it just opens itself up to so many more options. Denver's not really exploring these options, by the way. They're just hitting Bryn Forbes to get open. But it's another thing when I talk about the playbook expanding. It's not just did you run the play the way it was designed on a clipboard. It's did you read options one, two, Mm. three, and four in real time like this? Based on how the defense is guarding you, and just having two bigs like that, to me, it Bryn Forbes has been the beneficiary of that.
2: Bologna agrees. He said he said as much last night. So, and Bryn Forbes agreed as well, emphatically. I think he's enjoying playing with those two. So,
0: the last one I have is Demarcus Cousins threw down a dunk yesterday on the roll. So it was. I did see this roll. play actually. I did <laughs> see this one on the move and with a defender like flying by it wasn't like a poster dunk but a defender that made it so that the window of opportunity for the dunk was tight and to me it's a sneaky big moment demarcus cousins missed two layups in the previous game like point blank layups with almost no uh, nobody contesting him the fact that he was able to make a mobile on the move dunk to me i'm like that's good look we're going to talk a lot about this bench unit maybe this is an opportunity I am over the hump and thinking like DeMarcus Cousins, it's his playmaking that's really sold me. And we talked about this on yesterday's show. He just adds another playmaker to Denver as well as the rebounding and paint presence. But I still think, I still look at him and I go, is he just a 30% field goal scorer at this moment in his career? It might be. I don't know. I look at it and I, say, I still look at the numbers and say 7-0 you've played almost nothing but bad teams and the numbers have been mostly negative. I posted this on Twitter today. He's been in the positive two games, which means in the last in the seven games they've won, they've actually been a net negative. Now the difference is the the bench has been a huge net negative before that, so it's right. already an improvement. But the second thing is it's Detroit, it's Orlando. Those are two of the three worst teams in the NBA. It's Brooklyn without KD or Harden so that's a terrible team that was by the way both of those games happened within an 11 game win streak or losing streak sorry for 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 Brooklyn so most of these games you look at it and you go they were a small negative now is that because they're playing better is that because the competition was so bad I honestly think it's a little bit of both I think that there's no question Boogie adds something to that second unit but I'm not quite ready to, to roll it up and say boom bench solved because the, I, if you told me tomorrow night the bench was a minus 15 in tomorrow's game, I'd be like, yeah, that probably sounds about right. We'll see.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, too. Um, but my take is that I don't think anybody is really going to solve the bench. I mean, maybe Michael Porter Jr. will. Like, There's yeah. nobody else that you could bring in from the outside that's going to solve the bench. And I think he's by far the best option available. And um, I mean, I, I think it's, it's an easy call to sign him for the rest of the year. I, I really do. I think Denver should absolutely do that. Um, but that dunk, I agree, was huge last night because I think Denver is holding out some hope that, look, this guy was injured when he got here. He was getting over the, this calf thing. Then he picked up a foot sprain. You know, maybe we can get him healthier. Maybe we can get a little bit of athleticism and mobility back. I think the Nuggets think there's still some of that to unlock. So, you know, maybe just him over, you know, the all-star break, getting in a little better shape, if he can do that, like would be absolutely huge because um, I, that, that play kind of did stick with me from when I was watching the highlights.
2: And here's the other thing for me. You're right that they're feasting against bad teams, but what does the rest of the way look like? Mostly bad teams. So that's fine. Right. Play cousins, pick up those wins. You're just again, like you are just hoping that they can be less terrible than the last iteration and minus three, minus four or whatever. You go, all right, that's usually good enough if Yoke's on. And, and Is it, so yeah.
0: go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like yesterday, the non Jokic minutes were plus three. Yeah. And that's against the worst Orlando Magic bench shake you could possibly imagine. That's why I'm just not ready to quite light up the victory you cigar and say, hey, this is great. It's like yeah. it was a marginal victory against an atrocious
1: lineup. Right. But I just think back to the bench pre cousins, they would go up against really shitty teams and still be in the minuses. Exactly. So Sometimes yeah. minus 15. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, so, yeah. I think it's, it's, he's made a huge impact and um, I I think it's made the
2: bench just significantly better. Right. With how good the starters are just being half as bad is actually is good enough. Right. I mean, ideally they're not rolling out five man bench lineups in the playoffs anyway, hopefully fingers crossed. So Right. Again, like you, you are playing these Orlandos down the stretch. So oh yeah, eat, so, eat against those teams. And here's and you'll the funny be okay.
0: thing: who, who do you
2: first game back from the break? It's
0: at Sacramento.
1: Let's say Monte, <laughs>
0: Monte's back in the uh, starting lineup. What is your
1: five man bench lineup, Harrison? It's it's easy to me. It's uh, Bones. It's Austin Rivers. It's Bryn Forbes. It's Zeke Nagy, and It's Demarcus Cousins. Interesting. What about you vote? Same guys. Austin I mean Rivers is the guy argue... by the way,
0: who has been unimpressive lately. I know. Lately. I mean,
1: I you you got I'm a Davon Reed guy, like we know that, but it's pretty clear that it's gonna be Rivers. Okay.
2: Yeah, and then I also think Forbes for like Forbes is gonna play whether he should or yeah. shouldn't. It just seems that way. So Forbes has been good, um, I think. Yeah, no, I'm just just sort of thinking about slotting Davon in. So, I mean, look, I might personally at this point like to see Davon over Austin. Um, But I think it's going to be one of those two guys. And I think Wind is right about that group. And it should be Zeke. It should be Zeke.
0: Zeke over Jermichael. That's the one that I just don't know. I mean, both guys honestly have played very well in their roles alongside Demarcus Cousins. I think they're both better.
2: Yeah. I don't know if Michael's he's been, been better than Zeke,
0: better. but he has been better than what he, but that's what I mean. Michael was. Yeah. So I just think it's, I think it's a little bit close. I see some people out there saying like, like right now in the chat, I see Reyes saying Zeke at the three. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just don't think you can do it. I think that gets a little bit weird. One thing I will say is if Michael Porter does come back, I do think there's a scenario whether he starts or not where you slot him in at the three, because the three is the spot where we're like, is it Dave on? Is it, you know, like how do you make that work? If it's Michael Porter, all of a sudden, now you've got a creator in Cousins. You've got a creator in Monte. All of a sudden, I just feel like it makes his job a lot easier and also more valuable. Now he's like an elite scorer that you can run some plays for. But more than anything, you're just going to be spacing the court with this elite three-point shooter. Alongside Bryn Forbes, by the way, who's like another elite shooter. And I just think that's incredible. And if you threw a lineup out there that had Bones, uh, I'm sorry, Bones, Forbes, Michael Porter, Najee, and Boogie, that might be the best five-man shooting lineup Denver will play all year if that was your five-man bench unit. Uh, It's
1: light on defense, but you know what? As a second unit, it might might work. Yeah, I like having Jamichael. I I said this a couple days ago. I'm kind of glad, actually, that Denver didn't deal him at the deadline because I think he can be valuable to have just in case of emergency. There will be probably spots in the playoffs where you can use him, but, I mean, Zeke – he's been the best shooter in the NBA uh, out of guys who have yeah. taken around two threes per game this year. The guy's a lights out shooter and he's, you know, we've killed him for his rebounding this season, but him and Jamichael green are actually you know, pretty comparable in terms of how well they've rebounded or how right. poor they've rebounded this year. Those two are pretty similar rebounders. So um, Zeke's an easy call for me over J Mike.
0: It's so funny. The thing.
1: Too- about if you were to put Michael
0: Porter back into the starting lineup, then Jeff Green slots back in there. And I almost feel like that makes the second unit more clunky. Like Michael Porter yeah. spacing the court makes everything work. Jeff Green, you're kind of like, Well, he's really a four. Now he's playing the it's a little weird. So could, yeah, could I was just a make a little that, bit of a
2: hiccup. It's just gonna make that same point. How does Jeff Green actually factor into this? He has been good off the bench with Faku, but we haven't really seen that with cousins in there. There's a yeah. <laughs> there's there are rippling effects right to all these all these seemingly minor moves right now Um, why
0: don't we hit our first break on the other side we're going to get to some of these big takeaways we have on the season so far all
1: right guys make sure to pick up some mile high city copper lager from breckenridge brewery of course breck brew is the official beer of dnvr we've got it at the bar if you're in the area stop into the dnvr bar on the corner of colfax and york tons of breck brew on tap we've also got breck brew seltzer's Chilling in the fridge, ready for you. Uh, so if you're in the area, stop in. Uh, if you're not, hit up your local liquor store, local grocery store. They've probably got some Breckenridge Brewery there, and it is nugget season. So make sure to drink some Mile High City Copper Lager. Uh, at DraftKings this week, Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook and official sports betting partner of the NBA is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. Yeah, that good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on the NBA with same game parlays as well. So make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR, bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if that team wins. That's promo code DNBR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And
0: we're back. I like this new feature where Harrison, I get like a little break from the camera. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, Let's keep doing that, Kale. Knock that one down. All right, guys, we come up with a list of things we've learned about the Denver Nuggets this year. Who wants to give their, who wants to go first with throw out a first one? Harrison, you want to, you want to lead the charge here?
1: Sure, sure. I'm going to start with Aaron Gordon. Um, This is one of my biggest takeaways from the entire season. And it has specifically to do with Aaron Gordon. Like Aaron Gordon is an incredibly smart basketball player and he's incredibly good at, like adapting to situations and lineups and who he's playing with and just like picking up what Nikola Jokic does. Like he's picked up so many of Nikola Jokic's tricks this season and uh, some of the reads he makes and the passes he makes and Aaron Gordon, he's just really impressed me with uh, his IQ, how smart he is and his adaptability, because I think it's been a theme to this season. He's been clearly their second best player And I think a big part of the reason why is because he's been good defensively, but offensively, he's just fit in the exact right role that that Denver needs him to. So um, just his basketball IQ, his understanding of the game, I think is at a level that is way higher than I thought it was.
2: Hard to disagree, right? I feel like that's the big vibe supplying take of the year that everyone's on the same page about right for everything that's been a slog that part has felt almost too good to be true and it's gonna what's hard to remember i think it's great now we see it now but when everyone comes back too should they all come back you just have that much more confidence in aaron gordon figuring it all out staying malleable taking the right approach he is he is just a denver nugget all the way through
0: yeah, I mean that's one of the biggest takeaways. It's not my number one takeaway, I don't think, but it's it's up. That's probably my number two takeaway. Um, his fit is undeniable. He's a great player. I think he's a winner. I think we all thought this last year when we saw him, at, you know, how the season closed. But the fact that he has been as good as he has this year, and honestly, it just keeps getting better in terms of learning how to fit with with Jokic. Like I think that's the part that you get so encouraged about. I saw somebody in the chat say, you know, he's a number two on a winning team. I don't know if he's a number two, but I know he's a number guy. Like, he's one of the number. I don't know if it's two, three, four, whatever it is, but he's comfortable being whatever, you know, if you need him to be the number three, the number two, the number four on any given possession, he's very good at it. Um, So, yeah, AG. The one thing I'll say, a little concerned with how he's defended lately, and I think that has to do, again, with fatigue and injury. So, I'll give it a pass because we've seen it at its best. But lately, there has been a little bit of a slippage. And there have been some guys that have given him the business lately. So just kind of a can- thing to keep an eye on.
1: I yeah, just- The other thing with AG is that the guy's an absolute dog. Like he's a fighter, man. I feel like, in Orlando, when he was getting 49s in the dunk contest, maybe he had like a little bit of a soft label applied to him. But like, he's a grinder. I mean, we saw it in the playoffs last season when, you know, he wasn't backing down from anything against Phoenix. And he had the confrontation with Westbrook this season. Like the guy doesn't back down. He's, he's right.
2: tough as nails. Right. I also think there are just very few players in the league. I think of one, I think of like a drew holiday who can say, I'll be your third, second best player on offense, any given night. And I'm ready to give you 82 games of that effort on defense. Right. Gordon as the fourth or fifth guy in that lineup. Hey, we just need you to play D tonight. Your buckets will come in between, in between the lines. It's a different ask than what he's been tasked with really over the last few months which is playing, hey, can you stop the wings? Can you stop every single point guard? Can you give us 20 points as well? And I just, I'm not terribly surprised to see the defense wane as the offensive requirements tick up. Yeah. All right, what's a vote? Give me one. Um, not necessarily in order, just one I, sure. I have. Jamal Murray was essential to crunch time success. And mm, I have for a long time, I thought that was mostly Jokic. And I don't feel that way now. Um, You just look at the way things have gone with Monte and Will trying to do the two-man game or not getting to the two-man game or their inability to get Jokic the ball down the the stretch. Do you guys remember when, if a game was winnable in the final five minutes, you just sat back and went, like, here we go, baby. This is the fun part. And this season, it's been hold your breath as long as you can. Um, This season,
1: there's been so little confidence that they can execute in the clutch that Michael Malone didn't even bother calling a timeout to set up a play one game. One time. yeah. yeah, exactly. That's how little confidence there is in them executing.
0: One thing I'll say, I agree with this for sure. Like Jamal Murray is Jokic's dance partner. I mean, the bubble proved that, you know, just how much down the stretch it was both of them working in tandem, but it was often Murray finishing the play. Like they would create the play, but he would finish it. Um, So there's no question about that, that he elevates them. The one thing I'll say is if you still had Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon and Will Barton and Monte Morris, I think Denver's clutch numbers would look a little bit better as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's, again, just it's the fact that there have been short so many guys. And then those clutch numbers also, like if you go to look at Denver, like in the clutch, some of those games are also without Barton, without uh, Monte, without Aaron Gordon. Like there's been the sample size of games is not just that they're they're down two guys in every game. But some of those, they're also down three guys. And it's like, okay. So, um, but I still agree with your overall point. Like Jamal Murray, after the bubble, I started looking at them as a duo more than I started looking at them as like just Jokic. And
1: I think we see that in the clutch numbers a lot for sure. To vote's point, last season, Denver shot 50% in the clutch. It's the best mark in the league, number one in the clutch. This season, they're down to. 41 percent that's eighteenth. and also like will barton in particular has
0: been so bad <laughs> after yep. first quarters yeah. um there's the yep. field goal percentage and he's gonna be one of your primary guys so um so i think that's that's part of it i don't know how good jamal murray is going to be at that specific skill closing games because some of what made him so good was his ability to like if you switched it he would murder the switch and i'm Or even if you didn't switch it, but you were trying, but there was always that little gap between where you're trying to recover. He was so good at freezing guys or getting up. And I just, I'm so curious to see if he has that right away, if he has it by the end of the year, or if that's gone until next fall. I mean, all of those scenarios are on the table for me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you guys one here. Jokic's offensive floor, or yeah, offensive floor, is higher than we probably thought. <laughs> now, here, here's another one for you that's just insane because the Nuggets' statistics are all disguised with how crappy their bench has been for most of the season. Jokic, as an individual, offensive rating is a team statistic, but it's just like what, how the team performs when you're on the court. Jokic's offensive rating is 117. That is the third best mark in the NBA, behind Donovan Mitchell and Hassan Whiteside, both guys on Utah. Every other player in the NBA, besides those two guys, their team has been worse on offense than the Nuggets have been when Jokic is on the court. That's insane. The Nuggets have played zero games with Jamal Murray. They've played really zero games with a healthy Michael Porter. When he was there, he was terrible offensively. They've played so many games without Barton and Monte. The fact that you could throw Jokic out and take away his best running mate and second best running mate offensively and still be the, num- like, the number three offensive player on- in the NBA in terms of like how you how you score when they're on the court. That's insane to me. I honestly believe this is Jokic's personal floor. This is as bad of a roster as he is going to have in any given year. Um, as in terms of offensive
1: firepower. I mean, one of my takeaways is that this dude, Nico Jokic is arguably the greatest offensive player in NBA history. (laughs) That's been one of my takeaways from this season. Um, Dude,
0: the Nuggets Steph are, Curry is t- lower. Think about that. Everybody Mike, talks about Steph Curry as a system. He's significantly lower than Jokic is,
1: and Jokic hasn't had his teammates. Yeah. Guys, the Nuggets are the ninth best offense in the NBA. You know, <laughs> the, the Nuggets are the best offense with Jokic on the floor, obviously, uh, but they're still the ninth best offense that probably in the NBA. And that's with, you know, eight to 10 minutes a night where he's not on the floor and all the bench unit can run is a pick and pop into a missed three. Like that was the entire season. And the the fact that the nuggets have a top 10 offense is absolutely ridiculous. It's, 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 it's out of control. And I mean, I, I I can't imagine a better offensive player. I, I honestly can't.
2: Yeah, I had a similar take to the to the points you guys are making of the conversation about the Nuggets making playoffs and avoiding play-ins. I know it could still happen this year, but consider consider where they're at, the stretch of schedule in front of them. What did it take for them to be in danger of the sixth seed in right. the West? Murray, Porter, Dozier goes down. Jokic has yeah. missed a bunch of games. They played games without Barton as well. They played games right. without Ag. I mean, they're starting Monte Morris and Jeff Green. No offense, but it's 2022. One guy's a backup. Right. The other guy is Adam's age, and so it's actually it's the older than hey. you. I don't know. Um, no, he's he's I, actually
0: I, younger. This is the sad part: is all the old
2: players in the NBA are actually younger than me. Right? <laughs> it's really, a sad place to be. So uh, I know my Mike stands falling down, guys. I'm also sad about it. But the yeah, I just think about how this is as barring Jokic significant injury this is worst case scenario and they're the they have a chance at the 5 seed and so yeah. i'm just sort of done i'm just sort of done with like oh are they going to make the playoffs they have jokic we're talking lebron giannis levels of you're going to be okay you're going to be okay it's honestly I- higher Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I think I don't know about the standings are going to be tough just because Minnesota's playing really good ball. They're healthy. Like they, you know, they're, I I think it's going to be a fight to the finish. I hope Denver stays at six or five. I think that's kind of what their ceiling is. But when we talk about offensive rating and them being ninth, they've got so many home games. You get back a Porter and a Murray. You play against a bunch of under 500 teams. I actually think they're going to finish. There's a great chance they're going to finish a top five offense. which is just insane. Like, I don't think there's another player, certainly not this year that could lose as much meaningful talent and still keep the team as a top five offense. Um, This
2: happened to the warriors last year and they just said, let's pack it in. That's what I'm saying. And Ramona gave him an MVP vote. (laughs) don't talk to me about team record with jokic
0: oh my god this is gonna be so if the nuggets do get the five seed despite all of that oh my it will make it for a very fun contrast between like hey remember how impressed you guys were when steph buried them to the eight seed or whatever like because even last year they still had like guys they still had people playing um so that's another one all right and you got another one for me before we we can do one more before break and then pick up on the other side
2: i've got one more but It's all you wind. If you want it, go ahead, man. Probably done with the experiments. I just part of why we, what we just talked about with Jokic, um, the offensive floor, just like how you're going to be. Okay. I think the nuggets have hit the doubles, the triples, the home runs they need to hit. And it really is about the singles and the bunting and the base running from here on out. And so I can live with bones and Zeke. They're so talented. I think they can fit in ultimately both now and down the line, but going forward, you know, it was part of my aversion to that potential Smith trade we talked about. Like, I just, if we don't know if the guy's going to play or going to help, I'm good on that. And, and I think Malone is as well. And so maybe a small adjustment from the front office in these years going forward, uh, particularly as they approach or eclipse the luxury apron.
0: I mean, this is the bull bull rule is how I would call it. Like, is there a role for a bull bull in Denver? And I'm not talking about like as a player, I'm just saying, do you take a flyer and right. use a roster spot on a guy that's like, hey, huge swing and miss opportunity, but huge home run? Not like I just don't know if Denver can afford that anymore, or if maybe those are the types of guys they try to pick up, you know, with a little bit more experience or something. So I, I think the I don't know that Denver's going to use roster spots on Vladko's, Bull Bulls, or Marcus Howard's. I at least I hope they don't going forward. Right. Devon Reed, for example, does not have Bull Bulls upside. He just doesn't. Right. But he's more likely, in my opinion, to be an end-of-bench guy for Denver because it's like, hey, Davon Reed's been around for a while, and he actually exactly. might just be your ninth
2: guy. Yeah. And if, if Austin Rivers gets hurt, does it? do you prefer to have Bull Bull or Davon Reed? Right, like, right, 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 So,
0: right. For sure. Do you agree with that one, Harrison?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, selfishly, would I love Tim Conley to take a chance on another Bull Bull-type guy? Of course. Of course. <laughs> Um, is it, you know, the right move? Probably not, but, um, I don't know. I'm, I I might still be okay with, you know, Tim, just really taking a stab at something once a year, seeing if it works. Yeah. I,
0: it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. I, I, I don't see it. I just think it can be too much of a distraction. I think that's the thing that you worry about. I mean, bull Bowl certainly seemed to be that. You know, you don't like to look at these guys as assets, but that would be the value going forward of drafting a Bowl bull, bull. Not that he is ever going to be the starting right, four next right, year, right. but that maybe he's good enough that other teams are like, hey, good job developing this guy for yeah. two years. We'll pay you R. a R. J. lot. Hampton.
1: I mean, look, yeah. R.J. Hampton got them Aaron Gordon. They don't get Aaron Gordon without him.
0: They moved that one quick, though. They moved that one really quick. You hold on to that guy for one more year, and I don't think you get Aaron Gordon
2: for him, even with Gary True. Harris. So, kind it's of exactly error. though. That's that's quick. That's good. Good bit yeah. business.
0: All right, let's take a break. On the other side, I still got more for you guys. Some more, some more. I'm curious to
1: see if you uh, if you have them on your list as well. All right. Well, if you guys haven't been able to watch Nuggets and Avalanche games this season, we have a solution. Evoca TV. Is a totally new paradigm for TV delivery that is less expensive, more efficient, and offers a superior picture than legacy providers. They also have altitude and other national channels as well. Evoca TV is available in Denver, Colorado Springs, Phoenix, Boise, Twin Falls, Idaho, as well in Denver. Evoca TV uses next-gen broadcast technology. You get a super vibrant picture quality. Um, it, you know it looks even better than cable. It uses far less bandwidth than streaming services as well, so um, it's not like a choppy streaming service. You know, you can run into that sometimes with all the different providers. Uh, it's a better picture quality than cable. Most importantly, Evoca TV has altitude as well. It's pretty cheap too; only twenty five dollars per month. Plus, you get the receiver thrown in there as well. No contracts, no hidden fees. Price is locked in for two years. Go to evaca.tv slash dnvr. That's how you can get started with them. Ivoca.tv slash dnvr. Again, only $25 a month. No contracts, no hidden fees. That price is locked in for two years as well. Um, also, if you're hungry, if you don't want to make dinner this week, check out Sexy Pizza. Uh, they are an awesome pizza joint in Denver. They got a bunch of locations around the city. Uh, They've been in the Denver community for 13 years. They're as local as it gets. Uh, You can get, you know, 12-inch, 16-inch, 18-inch crust. Um, They've got gluten-free options. They've got tons of cool specialty pies as well. Great salads, great sides. The garlic knots are awesome. So go to uh, www.sexy.pizza. You can get pickup from, you know, any of their locations in Denver. They've got four of them. Cap Hill, South Pearl, Jefferson Park, Park Hill. Get delivery as well. Uh, check them out. www.sexy.pizza. Couldn't recommend them enough. There we go. Back for the final
0: segment. Sexy Pizza. There it is. Um, all right. Here's another one. I have. Um, it kind of goes along the bull bull thing, but how volatile r- r- roster construction is. <coughs> I I maintain. I think Faku was significantly better on this roster last year than he was this year. In fact, I went back and looked at the num- numbers. When he played alongside either of uh, uh, Hartenstein or um, JaVale McGee, th- the numbers that were positive. I think he was a plus eight overall, and it was roughly the same minutes as this year he's played with Jokic, which is a thing we cite, right? Like, oh, if you're bad even with Jokic, you know you're bad. Last year, he was also bad with Jokic, actually. I looked it up. Same thing. He was like a minus three when sharing the court with Jokic. So roster construction, I think, is very, very volatile. And the Nuggets deciding not to go with the center, I imagine this is the last year they ever come into a season without a backup center. God, I I hope
1: so. I think they always will.
0: And I think even the idea of they knew Murray was out, they knew Bones was young, to go and say, okay, Monte, Faku, that's our safety net point guards without maybe consideration of does this lineup make sense for those guys right so i think that's the thing is it's not just are these guys good players it's how is it going to work out and what is is there one injury that could completely derail our season if it were to happen because i honestly think that's part of what happened this year michael porter got hurt and all of a sudden it was we have no way to space the floor at the second unit
1: and it kind of was surprising from the get-go A little bit because, you know, the best backup center that's been here in the Jokic era has been Mason Plumlee. He's really been the only backup center that's stuck here. And Mason was – well, he was great. He he was great as a backup. He was exactly what you needed at that position. You know, durable, athletic, willing to play a role, good in the locker room. Um, But then just, you know, to go away from that has been surprising. And, yeah, I've got to think this is the last year – like, I can't imagine Tim Connolly wants to try to talk himself into like Robin Lopez for another year or something like that. Like, that's got to be annoying. Um, I, I, I agree. I, hopefully, this is the last year.
0: So, yeah. I'm going to address this Alex Lerner thing here. He says, guys, plus minus is not a personal stat. It's a team stat. Like, no shit. This is the thing is, everybody understands that. The way we talk about plus minus now, to say, like earlier, I said Jokic when he's on the court the offensive rating offensive rating also a team sport it means when he's on the court this so the question then becomes i think what people don't like when they're trying to like point out hey it's a team stat. they don't like what they believe to be implied in citing that stat the implication is not faku is this it's the lineups that the when right, he was on the right, court right. the team did this there are a million conclusions you can draw from that. Not trying to draw any of them other than saying like, look, that lineup combination was not working. Or in this example, I'm talking about Faku alongside a rim roller, Hartenstein and, and JaVale McGee, those lineups work. Now, is it because one-to-one there's so many other factors there that like, okay, was he sharing the court with Murray? Was he sharing court? Like there's all those other factors. So this is not a catch-all, but I feel like, We've been talking about net ratings and things as an NBA in the NBA guys for 10 years. I feel like over explaining the fact that plus minus is a team stat every single time we ever bring it up. We're starting to get redundant. We all know this now. Like we everybody understands what it is and understands that there are ways you can. Uh, there are things you can imply when talking about it and things you don't. So to me, to me, we're past that.
2: The roster construction thing is a is a great point and the redundancy the log jams we haven't seen the ugly side of that rear its head in years past because we haven't seen this many consecutive injuries right and and it's just gotten to the point where like oh if a guy steps down there's no audible there's no second way to reconfigure this bench having a reliable small ball option off the bench is awesome but you gotta have that other option i think and that to me that's the lesson. And to the point you were making, not trying to turn this into a Faku cast, right? But what's the point of saying, yeah, we'll ru- we'll we'll ride with Faku and not giving him a rim roller, you know? Right. Like that's kind of insane in hindsight. So there there are definitely roster construction lessons learned this season. Um and then one that's existed for 3 or 4 years, get a wing, a single wing, just one. Right? Yeah. I am so curious to see how Tim Conley
0: constructs the roster next year on the margins. Cause I do think a lot of guys are coming back, but like Jeff Green, do you really pursue him and try to bring him back Jamichael Green? Will Barton? Are these guys you try to move, you know, now Monte Morris, even like, I'm just so curious to see how, how Tim Conley works the edges we know, or we feel pretty confident. The main Aaron Gordon will be back, obviously Murray, you know, they're going to go for, but I'm just curious to see if it's like, Hey, we need this type of wing or we need this type of point guard alongside us. Um, we'll, we'll find yeah. that out. I, I do feel like this was a bit of a watershed moment where it became so obvious how important those right. margins are. Right. Another one I have here, the Nuggets miss offensive rebounding. I've talked about this before. They've been top three in offensive rebounding every single year, offensive rebound percentage every year of the Jokic air, and they're 22nd this year. Now, I just cited that stat about Jokic, third best offensive rating, so it's still working but I do think as a team, that's a thing that has been missing. I'm curious actually what the numbers look like in the boogie games. If the offensive rebounding has actually been positive, something I probably could look up.
1: Yeah. I mean, you lost your best two offensive rebounders from last year, Hartenstein and JaVale McGee. Um, Millsap was solid on the offensive glass last year. Porter got in there a little bit, but I I think it's, you know, a lot of it comes down to a size thing. Like, um, hartenstein and mcgee like they were the two best offensive rebounders on the team last year they were huge dudes and yeah. you were just a little smaller this year
0: yeah i'm curious that's another one just to kind of see and maybe michael porter changes this because he's a very good offensive rebounder um maybe he changes it here's my last one and i'll see if you guys have any others i think the future of the western conference has become more clear than what we saw not this year this year i mean it's also clear coming into the season you would have said who are the tar- who's going to be competing for the nuggets or with the nuggets for western conference finals 2023. And i think you would say okay phoenix maybe, you know the lakers maybe. I think you look at it now and you go next year, Memphis, Phoenix, Golden State, Clippers. To me though and then nuggets obviously. Those are the teams to me now that i think are like those are my favorites to come out of the west next year. Utah, the Lakers, Dallas is on the fringe there. Minnesota, those are the teams that, to me right now, if I were betting, I would bet them to be underdogs to advance to the third round in the Western mm-hmm. Conference playoffs. But Memphis has moved up there. Golden State has moved back up there, uh, to my surprise. And then Phoenix solidified themselves. They'll be, they'll be there for a while. No arguments for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Utah could still sneak back into that group, obviously, if they have an early playoff exit and – you know, they blow up the team. Yeah. They'll, they'll drop, but you know, I think Utah, like when everybody's healthy, they're still, they could still be a power there. What here's the thing though, Harrison, can you imagine if right now the
0: conversation in Denver, like the main, like number one talking point, what is it? Does Murray like Jokic? (laughs) Like, just think about the idea of like, if that's what we had to talk about every day, like three times a week, we were like, I don't know. Does Murray like him? Do they get along? That's the conversation right now in Utah. And even today, Donovan Mitchell came out and was like, I'm just putting this on record. There's no problem between us. I, I yeah. believe he's being honest. But the fact that it's actually a conversation to me and the fact that they have fallen to the four seed, yes, they're on a six-game win streak. But the fact that all of this, to me, I think is more likely than not that they fall out of that group rather than stay in the group. At least that's my opinion. I could be wrong. I could be wrong about the Lakers bouncing back next year. I don't know. But to me, I just think those teams have moved – downwards and the other teams
2: have moved ahead of them. Yeah. Well, how about Utah's trade deadline? To me, that's what to me, if they fall short again, is there any evidence that suggests oh, they want to pay to load up on this version? In fact, I think we see evidence that they might be ready to move on. So it does sort of seem like get it done now or not. Um, But I I mean, things change quickly. Yeah,
1: Yeah. with Phoenix. I mean, I'm with you. They're clearly the best team in the league probably in my opinion, but I mean, how many more years does Chris Paul have this in him? I mean, he to, he to me is by far the most important player on that team. Like, it's not even close, I don't think. I, I
0: agree completely.
1: And the fact that he's like playing the best basketball of his career and continues to at 36, 37 years old. I mean, how can he keep doing it? So if he is still this player next year, I I, I agree. They're They're at the top it's a huge if and i know they have some
0: players around the margins that are in line like campaign, and you know they might get a little bit weaker around the margins but to me it is the chris paul thing and you're right like he is one injury away from that team becoming pretty average i think like if he goes down that team is still good but they're not winning the western conference um, and that could happen at any time but i'm just not going to count that i'm not sure. i'm not right. counting right. injuries to me i mean if jokic gets hurt same thing with the nuggets they're completely out of it um right. All right, that was my list. Do you
1: have any others there, Harrison? I've got one more and kind of goes along with the DeMarcus Cousins conversation, but I still think this roster lacks some veteran voice or, or veteran leadership I agree. and somebody who can just look everybody in that locker room in the eye and just tell it how it is and have an uncomfortable conversation out loud in the middle of the locker room, in front of everybody. And I think it's also something that DeMarcus Cousins provides because the guy's been here for, you know, less than a month. But you see him during the games, you see him getting in Jokic's face and telling him to be more aggressive. You see him yelling at Will Barton to to be more aggressive and to make this play and this play. You see him coaching Bones Highland on the sideline during breaks in the action, during timeouts and stuff. I think that's also something that cousins has provided. He's just a veteran who isn't afraid to tell it how it is. And I think it's, it's been valuable for this team and there just seems like before him and, you know, even with him at times that that's just been something that's lacked a tiny bit.
0: Maybe Murray has it. I mean, I, I don't know if we'll see that this year, but I we've always thought Murray was the most likely one to maybe grow into that role, and it's been delayed a
2: year now with him being out. Yeah. That's uh, I mean. My last one, guys, the front office thought and still does think that that five is good enough, and their goal is to get back to that five. Um, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And by the way, even this starting lineup, it ain't broken. Sorry, right. I don't, you know, I think they're going to wait to see. There are theoretical concerns coming off the injury. Barton's defense has looked worse. He's getting older, but I think they want to wait and see that actually not work out before they deem it untenable because we have seen them play and they looked really pretty good to me. So yeah. I'm excited to see if they can get back to that. I think that's their top priority.
0: It's funny, man. Cause I was talking about, I, I, one of the things I wanted to put on here was like, you know, Barton maybe is slowing down a little bit, but I looked at his numbers. It's actually up three point up four two point up, like assists up, rebounds up even in, yeah, on like, a per minute basis. So I'm kind of like, I don't know. I'm curious. I'm I'm kind of curious to see how that all shakes out. I mean, the Barton question becomes interesting because he will be an expiring next year. Does Denver look at a more, did they look to move him or something? I mean, that'll be a question for the off season that I think they'll give more consideration than they have in any previous year. Right. Um, It wasn't
2: a deadline question because I think their goal was let's see those five one more time if we can.
0: I'm going to end it on a fun note, you guys. Uh, Kale, Super Producer Kale, if you could go ahead and pull up the worst tweet of all time. The worst tweet from all time coming from one LeBron James after the Rams won the Super Bowl. (laughs) He says, we, we, meaning the Lakers, we Dodgers and Rams (laughs) all do a joint parade together. Four explanation points. With a live concert afterwards to end it. Two more explanation points. City of champions. Congrats once again. Now, I don't know if you guys remember way back in the bubble (laughs) several years ago when the Lakers won a title. That is what is being referenced here. Now, this is why it's so dumb under several. First of all, we have a champion since then. Like, they are not the last champions. They're almost, by the time this concert would happen, they're going to be two NBA champions removed. But more than anything... The Rams just won the Super Bowl. Can LeBron just sit this one out for like one minute? This is the no late stage LeBron is the worst, and for him to somehow insert himself into the uh. Rams Super Bowl thing,
1: honestly, I cannot wait for this dude to retire. I mean, who is gonna play the concert, and why is it David Guetta? Like, that is <laughs> the,
2: the correct answer there. <laughs> guest family imagine dragons (laughs) um yeah dude this dude is i remember i loved watching him play basketball like a great many people did so much so so deeply and there were a lot of detractors who always said i don't get how you can like this guy i can't stand this guy and for the longest time i was like what are you guys talking about just appreciate them i get it i i really get it i think it's worse now than it's ever been before but i'm almost a little sheepish about my fandom, it's like, dude, there's nothing authentic about this. And no one is here for it anymore. I don't even think Lakers fans like him. No, they don't. This is what's Lakers. so funny. It's like when Lakers
1: fans him, went, hate him. They, they hate him from the there, second he got there. And they're him. never going to like him. And because he has to he, get around that.
0: He's very inauthentic, you know, most of the time. Not always. Sometimes you see an authentic, like he's very inauthentic. And I just think everybody kind of sees it. And everybody tolerates it if you can win. And everywhere he's gone, he's won, including right. Los Angeles. Yeah. But I think the hope that he's going to continue to win is like at an all time low. And I think, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that the Lakers approach this offseason with big plans, come up short, and then are faced with a real decision about do we just keep going here or do we trade the two assets we actually have in LeBron and Anthony Davis? Yeah. Because if you don't, if you just ride this out and you end the play in for two more years or not, or even worse. And then everything expires and you have no draft picks. That's by far my favorite scenario. It's
1: my favorite scenario. There's there's a very possible uh, take that plays out over the summer where, you know, some media personality just has to step up to the plate and just put their, you know, foot on that take and and have that be there is that the Lakers need to trade LeBron because I I would love, I would love nothing more than a full summer of just talking about that. Like I'd be good with that. Can you
0: imagine throwing a parade for the Lakers' championship two years ago? Can you just imagine it? What a what a goofball, man. What a horrible, horrible tweet. Yeah. Cracked me up though. That
1: tweet uh, that, ins- that tweet inspired by Lobo's tequila.
2: <laughs> I do. I do want to apologize to Bobby Hill, III third, because we did only spend 55 of these 58 minutes talking about the nuggets. So sorry. Sorry. We deviated for 120 seconds. That's our
0: <laughs> must be new to the show. I've never seen this dude around. Um, uh, all right, everybody. Thanks so much. Hit that like button on the way out. I'm out. I'm on all star break, guys. One, two, three. I'm- Cancun. I'm, I'm going to
2: Brazil. See you later. Don't text Harrison,
0: me. you're going to have to hold down the fort uh, tomorrow as the Nuggets take on the Warriors, and then everybody's on break uh, after that. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you later.